So we've been in this uh, sermon series, Stories That Read Us, looking at the various parables <clears throat> that Jesus has given to us. And uh, it's really been a fascinating series to see just how great of a storyteller, if you will, that Jesus is. Maybe great's too small. He's, he's, a, he's a genius when it comes to these stories, right? Because what he does is he layers and layers and layers these stories with spiritual truths in them that as you peel back this layer and you peel back this layer and you peel back this layer, you're starting to see his points. You, you start to see how it applies to your life. And, and the thing with Jesus' parables is they are never so simple as like an Aesop's fable, a nursery rhyme, a story that we tell our kids before they go to bed at night where we say, and the moral of the story is be kind to each other. And the moral of the story is eat your vegetables and clean up your room. and be No, it's nothing ever so simplistic about that. Jesus' parables, every single one of them, are always trying to show um, a weakness that we have, a sin, a spot of pride that we're blinded to, something that we struggle with, while simultaneously pointing back to him as our greatest need, as the one who cures us from our our ailments, our sin, as our Savior. And I think the parable last week was a perfect example of that. The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It's so good. A parable was not a parable to say, now you go and be a good neighbor. That's part of the application. But do you remember how that parable started? Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And later on, he, he shows a little bit of his pride, his arrogance in thinking he's good with God because he wants to justify himself from not having to love everyone. And Jesus tells this master parable in such a way that he's trying to get the person to say, you want to be saved? Then you can't be saved until you see yourself in the parable as the one who is broken, bloodied, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. And I, Jesus, am the good Samaritan who's come to heal you, who's come to save you, who's come to rescue you. And then and only then, when you see that that is your condition and that is who I am, then you can properly look at your neighbor and love them as I have loved you. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's, it's genius. And essentially, we have a similar parable like that that reveals to us some of our weaknesses, some of our sins, and again points ahead to Jesus. But before we dive into that, I realize in this whole series that we've been in, we've never asked maybe the obvious question, why parables? Why does Jesus have to give us these spiritual truths in these jam-packed stories for us to uncover and chew on and, and peel back the layers. Like, have you ever wondered that before? Like, Jesus, just tell us straight up what you want us to know. I, in fact, I know for a fact that some of you here have asked that question because we've talked about it in our small groups. We've talked about it in our discussion around our kitchen table, uh, at, at our, my office. We've, we've had these things, and it goes something like this. God, why not just use clear, simple language why not just give us your truths? And not just that, but wouldn't more people be saved? Like, wouldn't more people understand your word better if you just plainly, clearly taught, taught, taught us what you want us to hear? Wouldn't it be less of an obstacle? And I know I've thought that before. I know several of you have asked that question to me before, and I know you're not alone. 
Because it turns out Jesus' disciples asked him this very same question right here after he gives this parable. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, so as you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sometimes they will repeat the same parable, uh, repeat the same stories. In Matthew's version of this, I love how he puts it, the disciples came to him and asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? There you go, right? Like, Jesus, just I, why not just tell us what you want us to know so we can clearly get you, uh, the answers out of it? And here's his answer. Are you ready? The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And you might think, wait, is Jesus saying he doesn't want some people to be saved and be forgiven? And I can unequivocally say, no. Isn't this the same God who says elsewhere, I want all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Yes. Isn't this the same God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to suffer hell, to die on the cross for all of our sins so that through faith in him, we would be able to be forgiven. Yes. So we know very clearly that he is not saying he doesn't want some people to be forgiven, but it begs the question, what is he saying then? And punctuation helps. You notice that it's bracketed off in another set of quotes in in your uh, bulletins. You notice that it's indented. What Jesus is doing here is he's quoting a passage from Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, who was essentially giving a rebuke to people who did not want to listen to him. He, they were people who did not want to accept him as a prophet or his message. They did not want to hear what God's word has to say. And again, we'll go to Matthew's parallel account of this. Matthew adds a little more from that. He says, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. What, what he's saying is that the fault is on the people. What he's saying is they have closed their minds. They have hardened their hearts so that they don't want to pay attention to anything that I actually have to say to them. A modern analogy might simply be uh, politics today. You ever encountered someone when it comes to politics who is opinionated and has closed off their ears, closed off their minds so that it's like they cannot listen to sound logic and reason, they, they cannot listen to someone else's side of the, Have you ever encountered someone like that? Raise your hand if you've ever encountered something in the someone in the political realm like that. Okay, all right. Now raise your hand if you are the one who has that problem. Oh, a couple honest people there. Okay, how about that, right? It's like we all know someone who's like that, but it's never us. No, we never have that problem. We live in a world where you make up your mind, you make up your opinions, and that's it. It's set. We live in a world where the phrase, wow, that argument, wow, that, that point really changed my mind on something, said no one ever. Said no one ever on a Twitter feed, said no one ever in an online comment section, said no one ever in a presidential debate. We make our minds, we harden our hearts, we close it off, and that's it. Good luck changing it because it's not going to happen. And this is how it was with Jesus. 
what happened to Jesus right now is that he had started to become really popular. You notice there's a massive crowd, so much that he has to get away from the land to preach to everybody, right? And in this crowd, there are all sorts of people who have seen what he's done. He's cast out demons. He's done miracles. He's healed people from their illnesses, their disabilities, their infirmities, like all of these things that if you think it would be like the sign of all signs to say, okay, that's not an everyday person. I want to listen to this person. Like you would think, I hear this all the time, well, if he would just do miracles today, you would think people would believe. Guess what? Nope. Because it didn't happen. All these people who had seen, all these people who were following him, Jesus starts to get down to why they were following him. In this whole crowd that's with him, he's got some people who aren't interested in actively listening to what he has to say. They're just interested in hearing what he has to say so they can find ammunition for the future to debate him, to lay a trap for him. They've already rejected him in their minds. They're just waiting for something that they can use against him. There are some people who are following him because he's the Messiah, but they are so close-minded in their opinions of what the Messiah is. He's a political ruler. The Messiah, to them, is supposed to be someone who is going to come back, oust the Romans, make Israel great again, make us like the days of old, like King David and King Solomon. So whatever he has to say, it doesn't really matter. I'm just waiting for that earthly glory to come. There are some people in that crowd who weren't really listening to him for the sake of listening to him. They were the fanboys. They were the groupies. They were the people who were like, wow, he did some crazy miracles. What's going to be his next magic trick? He fed a bunch of people. Maybe he'll feed us again. Maybe we'll get a free meal. Maybe he'll bless our lives. What is he going to do for us? And to all these people who essentially did not want to listen to what he had to say, Jesus tells his disciples, this is why I speak in parables. To separate the proud from the humble. To separate the fans from the true followers, from the true disciples who want to chew on my words, who want to take it deeper and really get to the heart of what it is that I have to say. And in fact, that's the whole point of this parable. That's the punchline in his parable. That's the reason why he ends the parable this way. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Because that's what this parable is all about. Or to put it in terms of our idea today, faith comes from hearing, so are you listening? And that's not just saving faith, but that's maturing in your faith, growing in your faith. It comes from hearing. So are you listening? Jesus is going to answer that question for you today in this parable. For some of you who maybe feel like God's word doesn't really do anything for you in your life, Jesus is going to answer why. For some of you who feel like God is distant, he's sort of far off, uh, ethereal, abstract, not really a big part of your life, and he's just out of reach, Jesus is going to explain why that is. For some of you who feel stuck in your faith, that you feel like you, you, you want to grow in your faith, you want to grow in your understanding, but you just can't seem to get any sort of traction, Jesus is going to explain why that is, and it has everything to do with the condition of your heart. It has everything to do with you and how receptive you are to his word. And he starts off explaining this parable starting with the first soil that he represents, or should I say the first heart that he talks about. Here's what he says. The farmer sows the word. 
Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So Jesus simply says the, the seed here is the word of God. And the farmer comes and some of the seed falls onto a hard path and it does nothing because it can't penetrate the soil or the heart. If the seed can't penetrate, if the word can't penetrate the heart because it's so hardened to the word, then it simply does nothing. And what Jesus is trying to say is this. Some have a hard heart when it comes to the word. Some of you, maybe this helps answer the question why it is that your friend, your family member just does not seem to be receptive to the word of God. You've tried sharing it with them. You keep trying to share it with them. You keep trying to tell them about God and his forgiveness and they just don't seem to want to listen. Why? Right here. They've hardened their heart to it. Like Pharaoh in the Old Testament who heard God's message, who heard from Moses, but he hardened his heart. It didn't do anything. It didn't change them. It didn't transform them. But it's not just someone of simple unbelief on the outside. This might even be someone who thinks they're on the inside. This could be someone who just purely has an intellectual understanding of Scripture, but it never actually penetrates their heart. They might be able to memorize some passages and regurgitate those things. They might be able to know some of the facts about Scripture, but if, if, they don't, if there's no change, if they don't submit to it, if they just know it for the sake of being able to debate someone, Jesus says, that may be someone, that may be you who has a hard heart. It's not penetrating. It's not actually transforming your life in any way. Then he goes on to the second heart. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy, but since they have no roots, they last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Looks slightly better, right? The word is sown, and it starts to take root, and things are good, but then what happens? Some trouble, some hardships, some bad circumstances, and the plant keels over and dies. Why? Because it was shallow soil, and what Jesus is trying to say is some have a shallow heart. This is that person who maybe joins a church, maybe does a starting point, a Bible information class, maybe hears the word of God or hears some things about God and says, wow, God, God sounds great. And this church sounds amazing. And wow, I, I really want to get involved here. And wow, I really want to do some crazy things. And I really want to do some awesome things. But then, when they find out that Christianity is less about you and more about God, when trouble and hardship comes into their life, they think, wait a second. Okay, I, I, thought, I thought this was supposed to make my life better. I thought God was supposed to love me. Why is he allowing this hardship? Why is he allowing this trouble into my life? I thought he's supposed to bless me. This is not what I signed up for. When maybe you have some family or friends who are now starting to ostracize you, persecute you because of your faith with their dis disavowing you, so to speak, and you think, wait a second, that, that hurts. When Jesus says you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, when you, when you come face-to-face -face with God's word and say, that's offensive, I don't like what God says there, I don't agree with that, that's, that's not what I thought this is, what happens? They walk away. They pursue something else because what you realize is they never wanted God in the first place, they just wanted a cosmic butler, a divine genie to serve them, to make their life great, and when they find out that that's not what God is, that's not what Christianity is about, I'm out. Because they had a shallow heart. Which brings us to the third soil. 
Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word of God, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, this is a, a different soil, right? This is a different heart where the word of God penetrates and it goes down deep past the rocks, goes down deep. That's not the problem. The problem is there's other things down deep in the heart with it that crowd out that seed, that crowd out that plant. There's other things using up the resources, keeping it from being fruitful. And what Jesus is simply saying here is some have a divided heart. And you know who Jesus is really referring to here? The average church-going Christian in America today. The person who says, you know, I know all about God's love. I could tell you the gospel. I could tell you that he's forgiven me. There's all this peace to be had, and yet you're not living in any of it because you're anxious. You're worried about all the things that are out of your control, worried about the future, worried about what might come, and instead of living in the peace of God, you're living in the anxieties of this life. This is the person who, instead of living in the joy of forgiveness, sins forgiven, is complaining, is angry, is bitter all the time. Why? Because they have a bitter root in their heart. That right next to the word is also this thing that that other person did and you can't get over it and you can't forgive it, you can't let it go, and you're not experiencing the joy of forgiveness. This is a person who, instead of being cheerfully generous in proportion to everything that God has given you, holds back and says, no. Because it's not in God we trust, it's no, in, in my money, in my wealth I trust, and I don't have enough of it, and I got to get more of it, and I got to chase that paper, and you're stingy. This is the person who says, I really want to grow in my faith. I really want to deepen my faith, my walk with God. I really want to strengthen my faith. I want to grow in my understanding of the word. But you continue to let all these other distractions, like the sports and the practices and the games and the recitals and the weekend festivities and the trips and on and on, countless other weeds and thorns grow up, take up the space of that word so that you're not even allowing it to, to really blossom, really produce fruit that God wants it to. Faith is there, to be sure. But what's crowding out that faith is all these other weeds, all these other thorns, all these other things, all these other priorities that you're putting in over and ahead of God and it's keeping you from growing. It's making sure that you're stuck because you're feeding those things as much as you're trying to feed your faith and both can't occupy the same space. Which brings us to the last soil. Others like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. That looks good. Like so far of all the soils, I think all of us are like, yeah, I, I want that. Like no weeds, no rocks, it's beautiful, like tilled up soil. Oh, you just get your hands dirty in it, you could plant some stuff in it. No distractions. And look what happens. A harvest, 30, 60, 100 times, which back in those days, by the way, was a huge amount with no technology like we have today. A beautiful harvest depending on where people are at in their faith. What Jesus is simply saying is this. Some have an open heart. 
Some are able to, to hear the word of God and say, God, if you say it, I'm going to believe it. If you want me to repent of it, who am I to say no? If you want me to submit to it, you got it. I'm following you. Where you go, I'll go. I'll follow you, right? This is the person who says, God, till my heart. Remove the rocks. Weed out the distractions and the other things competing for you. I want there to be nothing in the way that your word can come to me. That your word can make me more and more into the image of you. Let there be no distractions so your word can own me and transform me so that I can produce fruit and a crop that gives you glory. So, that's the parable as Jesus himself explained it. It's really nice when Jesus explains the parables. Not too much for you to do, right? Except we have to ask our question, so what do we do with it now? We hear the parable, we hear the explanation, so what? And I think what Jesus really wants you to wrestle with is simply this. What's the present condition of your heart? You don't need to tell me, but you need to be able to answer that. If you had to look at yourself where you are today from a year ago, are you today producing measurably more fruits of faith that you could see, yeah, I have grown in my faith, or are you no better off than you were a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? But hey, I'm here in church, right? Yep. And maybe you're watching online. Great. But has that just become a habit? Has it just become a habit, uh, a ritual routine on Sunday mornings? I go to church and I hear some words and I listen to a pastor and he says amen and that's it. And on your way back home, you don't really give the message or God's word a second thought. You just go right back to the routine. Ah, Sunday afternoon football, here we go, which is great. Monday morning, got work. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what did pastor preach on? Oh, I don't even care because I'm not thinking about it. You're not looking to actively listen and apply the word into your life and you're not growing. Or do you understand that the word does not happen by osmosis? You don't just hear it, read it, okay, that was great. I don't understand it, but I'm good. You, do you chew on it? Do you take it in? Do you pray as you're reading it saying, God, Send your spirit and open my heart so that I can understand this. Do you come and alongside with another Christian to say, hey, let's go through this together. Let's try to uncover the truths here and apply it to our lives. Why is it that some of us know that we have God's 100% approval in Jesus Christ? That when we say the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, remember this word? The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Like, if you picture that in your mind, that when God is looking at you, through Jesus Christ, he is smiling at you. He is beaming from ear to ear like a proud dad that he is. Why is it that some of us know that and yet we obsess over everyone else's approval, looking at every new person as if it's an audition to get them to like us and then we get so depressed when I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough status, I can't get a boy, I can't get a girl to like me. Why is it that we know all of these things about God, that we know that being a redeemed, blood-bought child of God is the best thing we will ever be, and yet some of us obsess at school, at work, in our relationships with just trying to impress, trying to make a name for ourselves. 
it's because we're either not hearing the word enough or we're not allowing it to go down deep without all these other distractions that are with it. And if you come away from this parable saying, yeah, I, I clearly want to be that fourth soil. I want to yield a harvest. And there's only one way I know how that happens. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ hidden right here in this parable. Like I said, Jesus always hides himself in these parables, and this is so good. In this parable, he, he alludes that the seed is the word. And if you know your Bibles, and that's okay, this is a lifelong learning process, in John chapter 1, Jesus is referred to as the word made flesh. And then if you skip to John chapter 12, he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a seed. But if it falls to the ground, dies, and is buried, what happens? It produces a harvest, way more than what it was in the first place. And Jesus is talking about himself there in that chapter, John chapter 12. He's talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Do you get what he's saying? What he's saying right here is this seed isn't just merely the word of God. It's him, the word. It's, it's everything that he is. The Savior who came to this world to go into the ground, to take all of your sins, all of your anxieties, all the worries, all the distractions, all of that onto himself, to be buried for it, and then raised to life so that you could produce a harvest. He died, the seed of all seeds, to inject his life into you so that you could be completely transformed by his words, so that you could experience that joy, that peace, and everything else that follows from the word. If you want to change your heart, it does not happen from saying, okay, I need to, I need to try to listen to the word better. I need to really make an effort for it. it doesn't mean saying, kids, shut up, I'm trying to listen. No, what it means is you listen to the gospel. Faith comes from hearing. Are you listening? Are you listening to the truth of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? Are you seeing that he is your greatest need day in and day out and you have no life apart from him? And are you seeing the joy of what it means that in spite of the skeletons in your closet, in spite of the despair and the brokenness that you carry on day after day, he not only loves you, but he took that away. That your apathy and your hardness of heart sometimes when it comes to the word, Jesus said, I'll take that. That your ADHD when it comes to the word, letting all these other distractions take priority, he says, I'll take that. Your thorns, your weeds, your struggles, he says, I'll take that all on myself. I'm going to die give you life. Are you listening to that truth? Because that is the word of truth. The only word of truth that if you take that truth, plant it deep inside and allow God to till the heart, remove the rocks, remove the reeds, that and only that truth will completely transform your life and change who you are from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
till our soils, till our hearts, because they're often hard and hardened by things in our lives, by opinions, by our stubbornness. Till it. Break it up. Show us our, our faults. Show us our weaknesses. It stings, it hurts, yes, but we know where it leads. Repentance leads to a beautiful place that clings to you. And then when we're there, Lord, remove our thorns, remove the weeds, remove all of the distractions in our lives because there's too many of them that we have carried on, too many of them that we struggle with. Lord, we know that at various times we go back and forth between what kind of soil we are, but Lord, we also know that with you there's hope. Remind us that you are the word, you are the seed that went into the ground, that yielded a harvest of righteousness. Lord, let us take that truth, plant it deep in us, so that not just today, but tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and every single day, that we can think about your word, that we can chew on your message for us, and that we can allow you to grow and allow your plant to produce so much fruit in our lives that it's evident to everyone who would look at us, and they can see our good deeds. And let us, in all of those areas, give you glory and give you credit. Your word is planted in various ways, but you water it and you make it grow. Please make it grow among us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.